The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mounts, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you with us, riding shotgun as it were. Or maybe that honor belongs to Eric, who's a wonderful coordinator and producer of our program. Always glad to be working alongside Eric. Today, we are going to trek down to the southwest corner of Washington State, to Long Beach, Washington, and nearby Ilwaco. Lots to see down there. And we're going to be talking to someone who ought to be fairly well known to listeners of Trip Talk because this will be his third trip. He's always got great stories, and he is going to trek along with us. As a matter of fact, he's going to be our tour guide. Matt Shea is the gentleman I'm talking about. Matt writes stories designed to unite families and highlight all walks of life. His website includes free stories, interviews, audiobooks, with a free audiobook soon to be released. Feel free to write Matt Shea at mattsheabooks.net. That's mattsheabooks.net. He'll be happy to hear from you. He loves to hear from those who sample his website, and he always promises to write you back. Matt Shea, welcome once again to Trip Talk. Oh, Gary, it's my pleasure. I just love this show, and I love the magazine. It's a great magazine. We love doing the show and love to have you on it. You are a road warrior who is a very peaceable man with a studied eye and an ability to absorb history and then translate it in a way that makes people excited to go to the destinations that we cover on this program. And today, it's going to be Long Beach, Washington, and nearby Ilwaco, I'd love to start with Long Beach, Washington, because I just found out, and I lived in Washington for over 20 years, for Pete's sake, but I just found out doing a little research yesterday that Long Beach, Washington lays claim to having the longest stretch of beach in the world. Is that a fact? That is correct. We are 28 miles, and it says the longest beach in the world when you enter that beach. And at first, it was in America. No, the world. We got it with 28 miles. 28 miles of beach, and it looks relatively pristine to me. I confess I have yet to actually visit there, but I have met many people who've been there, and they go time and again. They just love that seaside village feeling. Uh, Matt, when I hear about it, and you've made many pilgrimages there over the past, what, four decades, so you would be the one to know. Is it anywhere in the same league in terms of crowds, in terms of the touristy things to do that you might find in the case of Ocean City, Maryland, or Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, Coney Island, any place like that, or is it in a separate category? Well, it's a definitely a Northwest category, and so this is our claim to fame. I love it, and I'll put it to you this way. I was talking to my brother Dan and Lloyd about this interview as we speak, they're already at Long Beach. That's all they just had to hear it mentioned. I love it there. I've been going there for over 40 years, and there's a touch of American graffiti here. We have got car clubs that are there. They are having the rod run to the end of the world, their 37th annual event, and it'll be September 12th where it starts. And it has everything, you name it. When you go to Long Beach, it's a given. You're going to see at least a few classics here and there. It's all part of it. But there is so much more there. This is one of these towns where you see the most beautiful 
floral displays. They will have these large, what would we call them, troughs that people sponsor and put the family name on. And I think it's like the Green Bay Packers season ticket holder. You've got to wait in line for a long time before you can sponsor one of these. And the pride shows. You can't just walk by one. It has the family's crest, the signature. You just fall in love with it. But they also have something else. They have at one time, that was built in 1941 in Portland, the world's largest frying pan. Now, since then, others have built a bigger one just to have the claim. But this particular one, they had a frittata fee, and they had spent over 200 tons of clams and other things. And by the time they cooked it, and I guess it was a delicious meal, within minutes it was gone because it fed the masses. <laughs> this pan, which was approximately 10 feet tall, and it weighed about, I think, over 2,000 pounds, I'm guessing, has traveled the Northwest and even into California where they would light it up and feed the community. It was a fun thing. Today, the handle still exists, but they had to do a replica out of plastic because the elements got to it because it was displayed outside. But when you're at the midpoint of town, there it is. You can't miss it. And, of course, you're going to take the picture next to it. It's that type of fun town. That would be a lot of fun. Quirky is the word that comes to mind, and that can be great because people love their roadside or in-town attractions. That makes it just that much more fun. But I know, Matt, that many people will plan a trip to a beach town precisely because they want to have some kind of boardwalk experience. Does Long Beach have that to offer? Does it ever, Gary? They have a boardwalk, which is approximately a half mile. And, of course, it's running parallel with the shore. And it is not really meant for bicycles or skateboards. I mean, the town loves those things. It's a beach town. But this is for families walking. You could have a picnic there. And along the way, it has its point of view. And, for example, that area is known as the Pacific Graveyard. Over 2,000 ships have sunk in that area since they've known them from the 1700s. On low tide... If the tide is really low, the French bark Alice, which went down in, I believe, 1909, because it was carrying a cargo of cement, it is still preserved. Now, you might not recognize it as a ship. You might think it's a rock or quite a paperweight, but it's actually a ship from last century there. At low tides, sometimes the remnants of a ship can be seen there. But there's even more than that. As you walk down that boardwalk, they have the skeleton of a whale, and I'm not sure exactly what species, but what happened was one washed ashore, and they were smart about it. They just buried it, and then two years later, Mother Nature had done the job. Mm. It is amazing to see the skeleton of a whale that was essentially untouched. Just amazing. That would be incredible. And by the way, Matt, if I'm going to be the captain of a ship, a very unlikely occupation for me, but nevertheless, if I were named captain of a ship and I were going to sail into rough seas, I don't think I would be wanting to ferry a whole bunch of cement in the hold. <laughs> oh, man. I know what you're saying, but in those days, you had to make a buck. 
and OSHA was not in effect yet. <laughs> now, That's when we right. go further down, you cannot see beautiful beaches without the amazing, dazzling displays, displays excuse me, of kites. They mm. have the Long Beach International Kite Festival there, and it is a 10, excuse me, it's a full week, and it starts in, I believe, August 17th to August 23rd. But the whole world goes there for it. And in fact, they have the World Kite Museum there, including, and I didn't realize this, a Kite Hall of Fame. And what they do is they teach people kite safety. They help you build one. They show you the various ones that represent various countries. And then they get out there and let the winds take over. It's incredible. It is just a beautiful Fourth of July type concept that is always happening there year-round. It happens year-round. Now, is there a particular competition, say, in summertime, maybe August? Yes. They have the the festivals there. They have various kite clubs that come in, and they recruit people. It's just a family fun thing. It's for all ages. So there's always something going on, always somebody doing something where they want to talk to you. They'll let you hold their kite for a while, but you got to give it back. Yes, and of course, when you talk about kite flying, it's one part art because of the construction of these kites, some of them quite beautiful, ornate even, and then there's the sport of flying the kite, and that's where the competitive element comes in. It's not that easy. You don't just let it go in the wind and hold on for dear life. When I was a kid, I would lay a kite down on the beach, roll the twine out. I used twine. And then after I was about probably 60 feet down, I would tug on it and the wind would pick it right up. So without having to take any more steps, the wind would do the work for me just standing right there. That would be marvelous to see great uh, video and photographic opportunities as well. You've made these trips there maybe countless times, Matt, to Long Beach and the area. Do you have another particularly romantic in the larger sense, romantic story, some precious memory of going down there with your folks maybe? There is always an element of American graffiti there. There is always car clubs there, and I just love it. And they have the Rod Run coming up, which is the Rod Run to the End of the World, their 37th annual event of doing this but there's always car clubs down there and little groups and they're fun to talk to it is just beautiful there my favorite moment is when i take somebody there for the first time they're in awe the boardwalks waiting for them the cars the shops are fun the saltwater taffy the cotton candy they have fun land there bumper cars go-karts they have a merry-go-round they have all of that right there And the restaurants are incredible, including some that are on top of hotels overlooking the ocean. I love it end to end. And every time I go there, I get something different out of it. I would like to give our listeners a sense of the scale, comparatively speaking, because, for example, my partner Suzanne and I have been to Virginia Beach, Virginia, 
lots of stuff to do, lots of people year round and a sizable population in and around Virginia Beach. It's a it's supposed to be the largest metropolitan area to not have a major sport, a pro sports team, for example. But you go to Long Beach, Washington, I think you're at the other end of that scale because it appears to me to be one of those places that's great for retirees who want a quiet oasis and great for beach bums as well. But it's not any kind of vast metropolitan area. No, it's not. And among other things, they have Marsh's Free Museum where Jake the Alligator Man is there to say hello to you. Sometime, I don't know why people do this, but they'll take an alligator or something and mix it with something else, kind of like the Reese's peanut butter. Hey, you got peanut butter on my chocolate. And then you have this oddity display that's amusing, a conversation piece. The museum is free, and my God, the candy there is great, the artifacts. All these rocks, seashells, it's all there. Marsh's Museum, and it's free. I know when I was a kid, if I had gone there with my folks, I would have been tugging on their sleeves and pleading with them to take me to see Jake the Alligator, man. That has tourism written all over it, and it's a very pleasant kind of tourist trap. You want to see these oddities. It is fun, but you get that on both sides of the street, the main drag from beginning to end of the town. You have these fun shops that are interesting. They maintain the culture very well. The food is great. Great seafood there. Great burger place. It's a great place to meet a friend. The hotels are neat. When you go there, the first thing you understand is you're going to return. It's like the Smithsonian. Now that you've got an idea, you're going to be making a lot of trips there. So you find yourself favoring it in intervals and in increments because you're coming back. You're coming back, and when you do, Matt, here's a chance to throw them a little love in the hospitality industry. I'm sure there are wonderful restaurants. Seafood would be great, for example. You can get your saltwater taffy, Cascade Glacier ice cream, et cetera, et cetera. What about the hotel scene around Long Beach? Do they have different styles? Do they accommodate every budget? Do they have any particularly historic hotels left? Yes, they do. They have all walks of life there. And they have the timeshare people as well. But they have the old hotels and motels that have been there long before I ever arrived. And they have the newer ones, too. And so there is something for everybody. And they also have RV parks. You could bring the family motor home there. That's outstanding. That would just be great. And I assume that this is going to be an attraction year-round, but particularly when you get into late spring into early fall, it's it's going to have its heaviest impact of tourists who want to get out there and have fun when the weather is favorable. Yes, but my favorite time is the off-season, and I don't know exactly why, because when you have a lot of people, the festivity kicks up. It's the more the merrier. But I appreciate appreciate that autumn, the middle of winter, I got a place to go and it's open and it's fun. And I could put on a pullover and I could walk that boardwalk. And they also have another one. They have a wilderness chair, um, trail, excuse me, that basically runs parallel with it somewhat, but it goes well over eight miles into the neighboring town. So you're between the sand dunes, you're seeing marshes, you're seeing lagoons, you're seeing trees. It is just nature meeting you. It is beautiful. 
I love the way you describe Long Beach, Washington, and it underscores for me the importance of seeing these places while you can, not simply while you're relatively young and, and vital. That's always good, but even senior citizens can lay claim to vitality. It seems to me that people, and I'm guilty of this myself, Matt, people get into their lives, into their careers, into their relationships, or looking for a relationship. And yet, because of our very busyness, it's easy to overlook within Washington state's borders, as a great example, how much is there that awaits your discovery? And if you don't look up and you don't get around once in a while, you're going to miss out on a lot of adventure. I could not agree with you anymore from what you just said. Right here, we're talking about Highway 101, which is a loop around our famous peninsula. And so we have these towns along the way, and then we have Long Beach. And you don't have to go that far. And I'll put it to you this way. You top off the tank in the morning. You don't have to worry about tank, excuse me, gasoline till a few days later. I love that. That's perfect. Oh, music to my ears. Let's say you're doing that. You're driving around the peninsula. You're having a great time. You've seen Long Beach. And by the way, one more thing. Is it true that they have the world's largest chopsticks in Long Beach? I wouldn't doubt it. It's a type of place <laughs> that would have such a thing, so I believe you tell me more. Okay, that's as much as I know. But the rumor is you can see that too, along with the, the skillet and everything else. And don't forget Jake the Alligator Man. So you get in your car, you leave, let's say you leave Long Beach, and then you're heading just north of the Columbia River, just off State Route 101, and you get to Ilwaco, Washington. Plenty to see there, as I understand. Ilwaco is two of the same. They are, I don't know why they changed, why they have two different names, but Ilwaco is Ilwaco. It is very quaint. And here's what they've got. They got two lighthouses there. And one of them you could stay in, not stay in the lighthouse itself, but where the lighthouse keepers did. This wonderful state has five different lighthouses where people could stay there and um, camp, call it home for a few nights. So that's neat. And this is one of them. It's called the North Head Lighthouse, which was built in 1897. But we also have the Cape Disappointment Lighthouse at the mouth of the Columbia River in 1856. Now, Cape Disappointment, how it got its name was, let me take a look at my notes, a captain, knowing that it had a passage going inland, missed it. And so he just called it a disappointment. And then a few years later, Captain Gray made it through, and he named it after his ship, the Columbia. And so that's how the river was named Columbia. It was after a sailing ship. I see. And the Cape Disappointment. I'm glad you spelled that out. I was curious to you know what was so disappointing about it. I thought maybe they had too many shipwrecks or something. Well, yeah, okay. Eight, That's a relief. It was, 18, it was 1788 when it was named Cape Disappointment. And then it was upgraded to 1792 by Captain Gray when he did find the Columbia. That. But these lighthouses, they have sandbars that are three miles wide at least that go at least six miles into the ocean. And from there, they've had over 2,000 documented shipwrecks since the 1700s. Oh, okay. To this day, when you are by the Cape Disappointment Lighthouse at a low tide, 
you could see the remains of one of the shipwrecks. Oh, Every that would be so haunting. Do make it to shore. Yes, but here's the amazing thing. They had, and tragically, they've lost over 700 people, but many of those ships, because they were beached on a sandbar, the whole crew was saved. Many wow. of them. Mm. For the, particularly for history buffs, that would really be something to see. And I had something else I wanted to bring up here, but let's be sure that we uh, put the word out there for people who might be interested in trying to stay at the North Head Lighthouse. You can stay there. Is that a case where, of course, you're probably going to have to book well in advance? It's not like they would be full of accommodations, but it would be an authentic experience staying there. And you call ahead and you just hope that you can find a time when you can get there. Well, here's what you do. You dial 888-GO-CAMPING, one word. And from there, just talk about it, and then you could make your reservations. They also have incredible camping there, 152 standard campsites. They have eight restrooms with 14 showers. They have it pretty good there at their campsite there. That's an actual excellent option for people who just want to live life a little differently when they're making a road trip. Excellent, Matt. I have a couple yeah, other and, places. And RVs as yes. well. This is the Ocean Park. It's just incredible there. But you have there your options, more. definitely. There is more. They have Fort Canby there, and Fort Canby also has a Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center there, and that is the best Lewis and Clark Museum I have ever seen. It is, I believe, at least two stories, and when you get to the second story, there's a third story, because that is now the Shipwreck Museum where you could overlook the mouth of the Columbia, and up on the ceiling, they sort of mark and name some of the ships where you're now seeing where they laid to rest. And I believe they have over 20 artifacts, over 20 ships artifacts within that museum. It is just incredible, and it really brings everything to life to be looking at those waves and looking at pieces of those ships that are still there. It would give a tourist pause to look and see as they walk through the shipwreck museum to realize how treacherous seas can be because everybody i'm sure that every seaside town has its history involving you know, nautical terrors things that went wrong people who were saved but when you've got a shipwreck museum that's a treacherous piece of what is supposed to be the pacific ocean yes well again the pacific graveyard is what they call it now if you call this number 360-642-3078. That number will connect you to get a good camping spot, to get in line to stay at a lighthouse. And also, the Interpretive Center for the Lewis and Clark Museum, the maximum fee is $5. It progressively gets less, whether you're a senior, your age group, and 12 mm -hmm. and under, you're in for free. Now, we are honoring the situation that we're having with the virus. And so I would just make sure that we are in the know of how they're handling this. They do handle it correctly, but some places in this country are open and some are not. Well, that's a great point. Yes, please check ahead. That's just good common sense. 
while we have time, I would love for you to tell our listeners about the legend. And there it might be more history and less legend. We'll hear in a moment. Tell us about Beards Hollow. I was waiting for that. <laughs> Beards Hollow happened when in 1853, Captain Beard's ship uh, had, had sunk at the mouth of the Columbia River. And I'm looking at my notes here. I have it really good. And anyway, what happened was Beard's Hollow is where they found him in part of the wreckage. And then just south of it a little bit, the same shoreline, they called it Dead Man's Hollow because they found more crew members and more wreckage. And so it was tragedy from the same event that gave the names for those two coves. But the first time I was there 40 years ago, my friend Travis told me there was buried treasure there. And in my stays there, once in a while, an old-timer would make a comment about it. And so I did a lot of research, and yes, unfortunately, Captain Beard, we lost him and his crew there. But there is nothing about treasure, but a book was written a few years ago about the legend of Beard's Hollow, and it had to do where somebody had written a book that from that shipwreck, from that point forward, treasure was hidden and stuff. And so this was fiction. But what I'm getting at is the author of that book must have heard the stories as well. And I've heard many stories of people in that town, the old-timers, make a comment about it. And I wonder where did that start, and is there actually any truth to it? And so you looked into that, and you found out that maybe there, there might be some treasure buried there? There might be, because there are those that look for it. And again, when I started going there in the late 70s, there were those who would just prospect there, digging around to see where it might be if it ever happened. And so there's a gap here. I haven't bridged yet, so I'll keep digging. What I need to do is connect with the historian down there, because many do know of that story. But I don't know how it started, and maybe there is. You can't rule anything out here. Things are found there. Matt Shea, I am always delighted when you come on board with us because you have these great stories, you do your research, and you tell a great ghost story as well. We can always count on you for some of that stuff, which we will do maybe the next time you join us. Thank you so much for making Washington State such an inviting place to visit. You are a great ambassador of tourism and goodwill. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Gary. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com. That's AmericanRoadMagazine.com. This time to enjoy, not just preview, but enjoy the entire digital issue. It's the current one, American Road Magazine. It might make you want to subscribe. Until next week, drive safely and dream well.